Would you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5? Excuse me, Acts chapter 8. This is also printed in your bulletin. This is going to be a, a, a pretty long passage. Um, and I debated whether or not to read the whole thing, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Because as, as much as we're commanded to, to preach and uh, hear the gospel preached, the Bible also commands us to read scripture and to read it publicly and to, to have scripture be heard. So I figure that's a good thing to do. And so we're going to do that. We're going to read most of Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Acts 8 is Philip's chapter. Uh, Philip is a deacon of the church, uh, and he's an evangelist. And it's kind of a unique chapter in that it's not focusing on the apostles. The chapters 1 through 7 are, tend to focus on uh, the work of Peter and the other apostles. And then Acts 9 and on, the focus tends to shift toward Paul. So this is kind of an interesting transition chapter. And um, it's focusing on Philip, who's just a deacon. So there's lots of important questions and answers that arise out of um, this chapter. And you can ask me about those. Uh, for example, there's this issue with the baptism in the Holy Spirit and how we deal with that. You can ask me about that later. But um, I want to focus on the bigger picture today. Um, there's two men in Acts chapter 8, Simon the Magician and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Luke's purpose here in giving us these two stories is to juxtapose these two men and their responses to the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of Philip. So let's pray and we'll turn to God's word in Acts 8. Father, as we come to your word, would you open it up to us? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive your message for us? Would you let us receive it well and let it sanctify us as we reflect on your work and your gospel? in our lives and in this world, and as we seek to call others to yourself and cling to you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now will you read with me Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip, when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit 
was given through the laying on of hands. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone in whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. There's an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you were reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a, sleep, like, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way, rejoicing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. So Elon Musk has been in the news a lot recently. Um, you've seen him probably trying to buy Twitter. That's his, his new thing. Before that, he was known uh, for Tesla and SpaceX and these uh, projects of, that are involved in technology and science. He's an engineer, focusing on electric cars and space travel and all these uh, super futuristic things. But if you ask Elon Musk what, his, what he's most excited about, his favorite project that he's working on, it's not Tesla, it's not SpaceX, it's not even Twitter. His favorite project is Neuralink. So Neuralink is this microchip that we could implant in the back of our heads and it would allow us to interface with technology. So there's some interesting applications for this in uh, the medical field. Uh, paraplegics, for example, could regain the ability to walk. Um, people that are deaf could regain the ability to hear. People that are dumb could regain the ability to, to speak. And so there's some exciting uh, things going on here. But the stated goal of this project is to achieve 
superhuman cognition. Ultimately, what Elon Musk wants to see in the long term is for us to be able to download the human mind to a computer, giving people hypothetically eternal life. Now, there's all sorts of implications to that. We can talk about that later, about whether that's even a viable option. But the point is this. Elon Musk is one of the smartest, richest, most powerful men in the world. He has access to the best technology. He has access to the best people, the smartest minds. He can summon all of these things at the snap of a finger, but he still has an out-engineered, outsmarted death, and he never will. No technology, no diet, no prescription can ever stop the ever-present, ever-haunting specter of death in our lives. And every person that has ever lived or will live must wrestle with the question, how can I have eternal life? That's the main question today. That's the question that Simon asks. That's the question that the Ethiopian asks. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for eternal life. And they have two very different ways of approaching it. And so I would suggest to you today that this passage gives us two things to think about when we're searching for eternal life. First, we need to seek the right things. Second, we need to ask the right questions. Seek the right things and ask the right questions. Look at verse 13. Even Simon himself believed... And after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So what was Simon seeking? Simon was enamored by the signs and miracles that Philip performed. He's the quintessential magician. I remember, you know, they always ask you what you want to be when you grow up when you're a kid. And I had several phases, but somewhere between my police officer phase and my doctor phase, I wanted to be a magician. So I think it was for my fifth or sixth birthday, I got a magic kit for, for, as a birthday present. And it was a little cardboard box and it had like a magic wand and a fake rabbit you put in a hat and you could pull out and some trick cards. But it also had a book in there on how to do all these tricks. And on the first page of the book, you opened it up and it said, the magician's code is that a magician never reveals his secrets. But then you turn the page and then it's full of secrets that it's revealing to you, right? And so the magician's code is probably less uh, a magician never reveals his secrets and more a magician only reveals his secrets to people uh, that want to know those secrets, that are willing to pay enough money, that are willing to buy the book with the secrets in it. Even professional magicians will do this. They'll go on uh, Penn and Teller Fool Us and they'll risk everything. They'll risk their entire uh, show just to prove that uh, they can hide their secrets. And so uh, this secret exchange is, is part of this whole uh, magician's thing. And so Simon is the quintessential magician. He's a secret seeker. And he sees the gift of the Holy Spirit and the work of the apostles as a neat trick. He sees the signs and the miracles that are performed for the proclamation of the gospel as mere magic tricks. So Simon is committing several sins right here. One is, of course, the sin of simony that's named after him. It's the, the buying and selling of spiritual things. But I want to focus on another one that he's committing. The sin of curiosity. Now, we don't often think of curiosity as a sin. We name Mars rovers, for example, curiosity. But traditionally, curiosity has been defined as 
our desire to look into things that we are not intended to see. It's our desire to have improper knowledge. This is the sin of Adam and Eve, one of the sins of Adam and Eve. When the devil holds before them the fruit and says, look how good this fruit is to eat. Their curiosity drives them to taste of it. Curiosity breeds gossip. I wonder what's going on in their house. I wonder what secrets I can tell to find out some more secrets. Curiosity breeds sexual immorality. What if I stay just a little bit longer? What would happen? Curiosity breeds covetousness. I want to see inside their house. I want to have the things that they have. I want to know what it's like to be in their life. Ultimately, curiosity turns our eyes away from Christ. And to fight this impulse toward improper knowledge, toward seeking things that we're not supposed to seek, our minds must be renewed by the Holy Spirit. So don't feed your curiosity. Turn off the social media, turn off the TV, and open your Bible, and turn your heart toward God, and follow in the footsteps of the eunuch. Simon is seeking something that doesn't belong to him. He's seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's seeking it through improper means. The Ethiopian eunuch seeks Christ himself. Look at verses 27 and 28. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here we have this eunuch who's traveling between two extremes. On one hand, he's come from Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is one of the richest, most powerful countries of the day. And he was in charge of their money. So he had access to massive riches, massive power. And he's just gone to Jerusalem, where the Herodian temple complex has, has been completed. They've literally built a mountain there and built these huge, uh, this huge temple out of huge stones. And if you remember in the Gospels, when Jesus and the disciples go to Jerusalem, the disciples are actually enamored by this. It catches their attention, and it draws them away Christ. But the Ethiopian eunuch, he's not captured by the wealth and power of Ethiopia. He's not drawn in by the beauty of the temple complex. Instead, he goes away from both of those things, reflecting on the suffering of a servant in Isaiah 53. He wasn't seeking signs. He wasn't seeking wonders. He was seeking the sufferer who could take away his iniquity. He was seeking Jesus himself. What are we seeking? What are we enamored by? We talk a lot about how uh, beautiful our facilities are. We talk a lot about how great our children's program is. We talk a lot about how good our teaching is. And all those are good things, things that we should uh, want. But all of these uh, things, they're attractive. But if we, if we win people to those things, and if we're captured by those things and not Christ himself, We've missed the point. And if we win people to the effects of Christ, we haven't won them to Christ himself. That's what Simon is seeking. Simon is seeking the effects of salvation, the effects of Christianity, the effects of the Holy Spirit. But he's not seeking Christ himself. He's not seeking God. He's seeking only what God can bring and only the, the power associated with that. On the other hand, the eunuch 
seeks Christ himself and clings to him as his only Savior. So we need to seek the right things. We need to seek Christ above all. Second, we need to ask the right questions. There are several questions being asked here from Simon and the eunuch. And honestly, to call Simon's response to the, the Holy Spirit a question is probably a little bit generous. It's more like a demand or an offer. But we can see what he says in verses 18 and 19. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. His question is, how much does your power cost? He looks at the gift of the Holy Spirit as a neat trick. He thinks the apostolic authority can be bought like earthly authority. He looks at God's kingdom like it's the Roman Empire, a cutthroat aristocracy, where if you know the right people, if you can pay the right bribes, maybe you'll get a governorship and you can be safe. He thinks that he can buy a seat at the head of the Lord's table, that he can buy salvation with silver. It's interesting, the last person to use silver in the Bible is Judas. Can you imagine what Peter and John thought? Judas sold Christ for silver, and now Simon is making the same offer to them. Sell me the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what they thought? Simon is like a formalist in hypocrisy in Pilgrim's Progress. If you've, ever, if you've never read that, I, I recommend you read it. Um, John Bunyan's great work about the Christian life there's a scene in this book where Christian enters through the narrow gate. John Bunyan wasn't very good at veiling his metaphors, but <laughs> Christian enters through the narrow gate, and he's going along the path, and there are tall walls on either side. He's, he's journeying toward the heavenly city. And then two men jump over the wall into the path. Their names are formalist and hypocrisy. And so Christian says, hey, why, why are you jumping over the wall? There's a gate back there that we're supposed to go through. And formalist and hypocrisy. Again, John Bunyan's not great at bailing his metaphors here, but formalist and hypocrisy say, oh, it's okay. We're special. It was a long way to go over there, and so we just took a little shortcut, and every, everything's going to be fine. All that really matters is that we're all on the same path, going the same direction. It doesn't matter how we got here. And when we make claims like this, we ultimately reduce Christianity to a set of formulas to follow. And we say, oh, it doesn't matter how. As long as we keep our head down, as long as we check all the boxes and nobody notices us how we slipped in, then it's okay. This is what Simon's trying to do. He's trying to purchase his way into salvation. But the eunuch's question is different. Look at verses 30 and 31. So Philip ran to him, the eunuch, and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you were reading? The eunuch said, how can I, unless someone guides me? The eunuch asked, how can I understand? It's a humble question. Instead of presuming that he knows how all this works, instead of presuming like, oh, I understand what a kingdom is, I can figure out, I know how the bribes work, I know who to pay. He says, no, I don't, I don't understand. He says, I don't know who this man is in Isaiah 15. Then he asks, when he finds out who the man is, he says, what prevents me from following him right now? There's a difference between a heart of pride and a heart of humility. Instead of pursuing 
Instead of asking questions from a heart of presumed knowledge, he bows down before Philip, again, who's not even an apostle. He turns to this regular man and says, can you teach me? Is that your question? How can I follow? How can I understand? What do I need to do? Or are you like Simon, like formalist in hypocrisy? Where's the shortcut? What's the easy way? How big of a check do I need to write? How many classes do I need to teach? How many degrees do I need to get? How many Twitter followers do I need before I'm important, before I have a position at the head of the table? God's kingdom does not work like earthly kingdoms. In God's kingdom, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. So the call for us is to come to God humbly, come to Christ humbly, bowing before him and saying, teach me. How can I follow you? And God is gracious and just to answer those questions. We need to wake up. There are two ways to live. We can either live like Simon or live like the Ethiopian eunuch. You remember the story of Saul. There's, a, there's an interesting parallel between Simon's story and Saul's story. When Saul transgressed God's law, he makes a sacrifice without Samuel there. And then God removes his blessing from Saul. And he finds himself on his knees begging God's messengers to mediate for him. In fact, God is no longer his Lord, but he's the Lord of Samuel. And so he, he says to Samuel, will you pray to your Lord? Simon does much the same thing. Peter tells him to repent. So turn to God in prayer and repentance. And instead, he fears judgment. And he says to Peter, you pray for me. You pray for me to the Lord, that nothing what you have said may come upon me. Instead of repenting, he simply fears judgment. But the eunuch, as he comes in humility, recognizing the depth of of his hopelessness and sin, goes away rejoicing because he has experienced the mercy of the suffering servant. Imitate him as he imitates Christ. How can we have eternal life? It's only by dying and humbling ourselves with a suffering servant who died and was humiliated for us. And being united to him in his death and in his suffering and in his humility by being last in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is the call on our lives. Come humbly before God. Seek his will. To seek his guidance. To come to him in prayer thanksgiving and rejoicing for his work. Not in presumption, not in pride, but in humility. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.